Hey, everybody. A amazing episode here with filled of hope of what's going on live from our strong church event in Arizona brought to you by TPUSA Faith. We share that uh, and also how we are building a response to secular globalism. Email us as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Subscribe to our podcast and get involved with Turning Point USA at tpusa.com. Email me as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Noble Gold Investments is the official gold sponsor of The Charlie Kirk Show a company that specializes in gold IRAs and physical delivery of precious metals. Learn how you could protect your wealth with Noble Gold Investments at noblegoldinvestments.com. That is noblegoldinvestments.com. It's where I buy all of my gold. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. I had the privilege to meet Charlie, um, well, probably now about four years ago, and how we got connected. He calls me as pastor. Um, although he doesn't come to our church that often. Charlie, come on out. Charlie Kirk, everybody. And so we, we, we met at that uh, conservative radio conference, and then we become friends ever since. And, and then all this TPUSA faith, there was a... It was an idea that we had because you made the worst prediction in radio history. No, that's right. It, uh, for those of you that watch the podcast, uh, you know that I, I make predictions every so often. And some of you have heard this story before, but in the, uh, in the spring of 2020, I made the worst prediction, I think, ever in recorded history since the advent of podcasting. Uh, everything was locking down and, you know, people were starting to stay at home. And I said, hey, these lockdowns, they're not gonna, they're not gonna last. Because the church loves liberty and the church is going to resist all these lockdowns. And, uh, boy, I was wrong about that. Uh, is the, I mean, again, some exceptions in this current, uh, audience of people that resisted and stayed open, but, and, uh, you deserve credit and encouragement for that. But the vast majority of American churches, uh, did exactly what the government told them to do. Yeah. And uh, they locked down. They took Easter from us. They took Pentecost from us. Uh, we were psychologically manipulated using information warfare, saying that watching church on a screen is the same as being around believers. And we just kind of took it. And again, for those of you that resisted, especially in blue enclaves, they called you super spreader, responsible for mass murder. Rob, you know, I, I'll never forget, I was watching the live stream back here in Phoenix, and you did uh, communion, I think, on Palm Sunday. Is that right? And you only they were only allowed you to have one person in a chair, and after the person got out of the chair, they had to you know, kind of wipe it down and disinfect it, right? Yeah, exactly. And they were still attacking him for being a super spreader. And, of course, it was one of the reasons they did that was they wanted to they wanted to try to send a message that the church was not sovereign. God was not sovereign of the country. The church is subservient to the state. And we just kind of took it. And 
Over the summer of 2020, we started to see more and more resistance against that. Of course, then we had the second episode that led to the, the start of TPUSA Faith, where we decided to burn our country down to a crisp all around the lie that, you know, we're systemically racist, uh, otherwise called as Floydapalooza, basically, when the entire country decided to burn itself. And the same pastors that told us that they did not want to be political, the same pastors that told us that we'll never do a voter registration drive, were very quick to give a sermon telling us that you're racist if you have white skin color and that we all need to be in support of the racial justice movement and that, you know, we need to contribute to Black Lives Matter. For example, like Rick Warren, uh, who always tells us, oh, am I not allowed to name any names? I'm, I'm sorry. Is that? It doesn't yeah. bother me. You know, but no, I mean, Rick Warren, who I've debated with him on text message, and he's like, you know, Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. You know, we come to a greater kingdom. Like, then, Rick, why did you go march in a BLM parade? Like, what is that all about? So, oh, it's left-wing politics that's okay, but if you dare try to contest for the, um, let's just say, the revitalization of the greatest nation ever to exist in the history of the world, then you can't do that. So TPUSA Faith was launched, and uh, Rob, our friendship was really the beginning of that, and then our friendship with the Barnetts, and it has now grown beyond anything we could have imagined, and glory be to God. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a movement that uh, is spanning all 50 states Amen. and thousands of churches and pastors. And Pastor Luke, I told you when we were backstage a couple, about a year ago, uh, when we first had the privilege to meet, I said, you know, I met Charlie, first church he ever spoke at was ours. And, uh, and, and I, and I said, thank you for giving him a mantle that I can't provide because I have a gift of preaching a church down to a manageable size. But, but you, you have, <laughs> but you've afforded Charlie that and, and all of, of TPUSA faith and, and Tommy, thank you for the inspiration of that and, and embracing us. Amen. Amen. And uh, a couple things I do want to share uh, before we get to a question and answer, which is we need to be prepared if they try to lock us down again or they try to go right after the church. This whole kind of obviously coordinated op that they're running around Christian nationalism uh, is trying to get you to kind of sit in the corner, to shut up and to obey. Uh, there's this book that was written. I think you're in the book, The, the Kingdom, the Power and the Glory by uh, Tim Alberta who you know, he conveniently was allowed on MSNBC as soon as the book was published. Uh, Barack Obama said it was one of his favorite uh, books of 2023, which was hilarious because it made the book, the list of Barack Obama's favorite books like three weeks after it was published. Like, okay, yeah, I'm sure you, you read the entire thing. Um, and it, it, they, they want to try to neuter the church ahead of this critical year. And I mean, what Bob McEwen said is so accurate and so important. And don't think of it as political. Think of it as serving your flock. They're looking to you for answers. Deep down, they're begging for you to have the Bible be the lens of which they view of how they vote. And any of the kind of chattering um, disagreement that you might get from some of the people in your church that say, oh, I don't want it to be political, that does not represent a majority of how the church, not even a majority, like 90% of how the church feels. Deep down, they want to be led. They want to know what the Bible says about these critical issues. And we are being sold this lie. We're being sold a lie that you can be a church in America and be silent on all these major culture issues, all these major faith issues, because they are spiritual issues at they the are. core. And to be led that they're anything but spiritual, to believe that they're anything but spiritual issues um, is just not the case. And Jesus needs to be the center of everything that we do. 
always. And Jesus had a lot to say about every single one of these issues. Jesus spoke very clearly about what happens when you go after children. Jesus spoke very clearly um, about what happens when you don't obey the command, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you could spend an entire month talking to your congregation of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and so we have to be prepared in this critical year for that. And I, I also want to say that it's it's we, we could talk about the churches that are silent, um, that are uh, not speaking out, but... I am just blown away by how many amazing pastors and churches there are. And I think so many of you feel the same way being at an event like this, how encouraging it is to know you're not alone. Uh, And that was one of the other reasons why we started Teep USA Faith is I got annoyed. I kept on going, you know, to Steve Smotherman's church or Keith Craft's church. And every so often it wasn't necessarily at their churches, but I'd hear something. I'm the only pastor that is resisting lockdowns. Like, well, you're not the only one because I just came from this church here. And I said, we have to try to network. We have to try to strengthen the bride of Christ. And, you know, one of the objections that people will say is, you know, you guys are trying to divide. Uh, you guys, I, I, I disagree. I actually think that we're trying to unite Amen. the bride of Christ. And if it divides the secular world, so be it. That's not for us to worry about. In fact, I'm fine, you know, drawing a line in the sand and saying that we don't believe that men can give birth and that children should not be taught graphic pornography and that we should have borders and that we should have leaders that love the country. In fact, I I fail to understand why not every pastor in the country is contesting for those things. Um, And the last thing I'll say before I throw it back to Rob here is that the people that say that we should be silent on these issues, they refuse to ever have theological discussions on this. Because the theology is not with them. Instead, they go to secular emotionalism. Oh, you're being mean. Oh, you're not being kind. Or, But they can never cite scripture that says we should be indifferent about the suffering of our nation or the suffering of our neighbor. In fact, it's the opposite. The Bible commands that we pursue justice, justice you shall pursue. That you shall demand the welfare of the nation that you are in, as I mentioned last night. Jeremiah 29, 7. You know, Daniel, Esther, Mordecai, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, they all contested for the nation. They were counselors to the king. And this is a new age, I believe, demonic phenomenon that has come into the church that where we just kind of sit on the sidelines and we allow, you know, like, well, we're just going to kind of, you know, have church on Easter and Christmas. We're not going to get into the public square and the ecclesia. So I want to encourage you guys to keep on fighting. Amen. You know, Charlie, one of the things that was a great blessing to me was we had the churches that stood in defiance uh, to the tyranny. And then as we started to do these pastors' conferences, it was a lot like uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood in opposition to Hitler in 34. 3,000 pastors stood with him. 3,000 pastors were in the opposition standing with Hitler. And 11,000 of these 17,000 evangelical pastors were in the middle saying, we just bury our heads and hope it goes away. None of them expected in, in less than 10 years that six and a half million Jews would be gassed and incinerated and the church would be silent in relation to that. And it was, it was Martin Niemöller who started out liberal but was moved by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and joined the cause. You and I have seen pastors stand, but what's really been exciting is when we do these pastors conferences, we get young guys coming in going, you know, we did the lockdowns, we did all that, we were wrong, I'm in. That's so encouraging. Can you speak to that? You know, and and we need to have a heart for pastors that are not yet on board. Again, I will be honest. This I struggle with this. If you're really not yet speaking out 
after four years of this, I got a lot of bitterness for you. I got to work on that. I asked Jesus for forgiveness. No, I'm going to be honest. Like I just, I, I, I ran into a pastor the other day. They're like, yeah, I, I'm not really sure if it's time. And I, I think, I think that, you know, my congregation won't receive it well. I was like, you shouldn't be a pastor. I'll be, I, I got really upset. And so you should just resign and like, just go, go sell insurance or something. Like I, nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's fine. So you can go be a, you know, be an evangelist in the insurance industry. We, we need that. It's like, don't, like, don't, as soon as you assume the mantle of the holy, as again, the whole book of Leviticus focuses on this. It means separate in Hebrew. It, if you, the holy needs to be separated from the rest, that, that there's different rules for you guys. There's different rules when you say you're a pastor and it's not for everybody. And we should be loving enough to say to the people that are not living up to the standard of being a pastor, that's okay, but stop damaging the label and the mantle of what it means to be a pastor by acting no differently than a new age motivational speaker. All right, folks. Well, the next portion of our segment is up to you. We're going to do some question and answer. Um, I don't know who's fielding the questions. I I think you can line up. We'll do some questions. Yeah, line up and we'll Uh, we'll take your questions. That's that's the most important. And um, And especially we'd like to hear from some pastors that you're you're just not sure about all this. And you've you've got some, you know, questions. That's perfect. That's what we're looking for. Um, Or whatever. And please remember, it's questions, not dissertations. Um, All right. You can email me your dissertation, freedom at charliekirk.com. Yeah. All and right. I, I promise I probably won't read it. So um, the, uh, the the line can uh, go here. And whoever wants to go first. Yes. Yes, sir. Who's up? Anyone? Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Thank you. So I feel you on everything that you're saying. I'm an attorney. And it's really interesting because I'm from Minnesota. It's hard to be a Christian in those type of states where things are coming in from the outside, we didn't even ask for, people didn't even want. But to your point, how do pastors speak out in their churches on these political matters without violating the internal revenue codes, risking the loss of their 501c3 status and having that kind of federal pressure be put down on them? Uh, because I, it's my understanding if you're going to speak on one side, you have to speak on the other side and provide Equal time, equal opportunity. Great question. Yeah. So, um, does anyone know how many churches have lost their C3 status in the last decade? Yeah. Zero. Zero. This is a lie from the pit of hell. Let me work, let me, let me work through this. So, so first, I run a 501C3, Turning Point USA. And as you can see, we can legally talk about a lot of issues without endorsing candidates. Now, even if you wanted to endorse candidates, Rob is the, um, most, let's say, uh, cowboy of, of this. Rob, you endorse from the stage, and then what do you do? You mail the tape into the IRS? Yeah, I send it to the IRS. I say, come get me. I, 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 I love your heart. I can't stand that question. Why are you a pastor if you're so afraid of ooh daddy government that might make the tax deduction go away? Like, ooh, the tax deduction might go away. I'm scared. Resign. Get out of the ministry, man. Like, what is, not you. I'm just saying, like, I, I just, I cannot, I can't tolerate this anymore. Like, we have 
criminal invaders on our southern border. They're chopping off the parts of our kids. They're teaching our kids outright demonic activity. And the excuse that I get more than anything else is, well, you know, the Internal Revenue Service, after a multi-year audit, might do something they haven't done in a course of a decade, even though I'm legally allowed to do it. But my elder board told me that if I do this, we might lose the piece of paper and our business model might be compromised. Like, I'm sorry, if that's your excuse, then you should go be a developer of condominiums because you're much more worried about paying the note to a bank than saving souls for Jesus Christ. All right, we'll go over here. Yes, dear. Uh, I have a question about um, just fellow Christians, like not living each other and not showing unity in the church. So the Bible says, speak the truth in love. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. It says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And it's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. And, and that's what we're trying to do. But the problem is Christians think that peace is the absence of conflict. It's not. It's the presence of Christ in the midst of the conflict. The, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And it's going to be divisive. And people say, you know, Trump was divisive. I don't think he was divisive as much as he was a highlighter to show where the division already was. And in the body of Christ, if we're going, for example, and, and you know, I, I hold Eric responsible, Eric Metaxas. He has a book uh, called Letter to the American Church in a movie that just came out. And the movie's tonight, and it's remarkable. You all have to be there. It's remarkable. But he was on a podcast and he commented about pre-trib, pre-millennial. And it talked, to, it, it, I won't go into it, but it created division. And now we're getting churches that won't show the movie because they've been offended by his statements. We don't have that luxury. We, we, if we don't stand together, we're going to fall apart. And if we don't, if we don't stand for liberty, we're going to be arguing our theological differences from prison. And, and I, I would say, the, the greater the threat, the more we're unified. And, and we have to look past everything that the world is trying to divide us on and, and find that commonality. And uh, it, the thing we love about TPSA Faith is we represent five-point Calvinists and swinging from the chandelier. As we said last night. Yeah. And, and we, must, we must acknowledge primary doctrine, secondary doctrine. I'm not a theologian, right? We all know when there's primary doctrine problems, right? You wouldn't be here if there was primary doctrine problems, right? If you rejected the divinity of Christ, you wouldn't be here, right? If you are postmodernist when it comes to the inerrancy of Scripture, you know, you wouldn't be at this conference, right? But there will be, there are people here with differences when it comes to eschatology. And I'm proud to say that we have people that have differences in that view. And I'm not going to say that's not important. I'm not going to say that that's not critical. But my personal line of work with TPUSA Faith is to contest for liberty, which is God's idea, not man's idea. And I think we have so much to unite behind that and to agree upon. And uh, that, that, that's the spirit that we have here. So That was a tremendous question. Thank you for teeing that up for us. Bless you, dear. Thank you. Yeah. Over here. Hi, my name is Paula. Um, this is a question about schools. I'm a teacher. Um, we have a Christian principal, and but yet we have things displayed in our school that are very inappropriate. And I just want to know how to approach this with her. Um, you have tenure, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, good. But finally, we can use tenure to our advantage. Um, look, it's not easy, but um, don't be afraid to be disagreeable. I mean, don't put it in your classroom. 
Um, it's hard for them to fire you, obviously, because you have tenure. But I don't want to ask for necessarily specifics, but I imagine it's in the LGBT realm, you know, probably. And this is a pseudo-religion. And the LGBT mafia, right, the, tran the alphabet letter mafia is a better way to put it, has taken advantage of all of us as Christians. And they've taken advantage of us because we were so beat down for years because we were told that marriage between a man and a woman is not popular, that you're a hater, just let these people live. And we kind of laid down all of our arms because there was a fake peace treaty that was issued for a very short period of time where we were told that the alphabet mafia, they get gay marriage, which we never should have allowed ha to happen, and everything's going to be fine. And in reality, it was the opposite. In reality, they saw us as suckers, and they saw us as bringing on all of our defenses, and they went right after our children. Remember, the alphabet mafia, they recruit because they can't reproduce. Remember that. So they must go after your children. And they are groomers. Don't believe me? Ask James Lindsay, who goes through it in great detail. It's one thing if you are struggling with same-sex attraction. We all have a heart for those people. We want to minister to those people. We're not here to go out of our way to ridicule people for the sins that they struggle with. It is a completely another thing to normalize sinful behavior, wear it as an identity, put it as curriculum, and then call us haters if we dare oppose it. And so, please keep on fighting. I would also add for you, we're not in charge of the outcome, we're in charge of the obedience. And, and we're not to be afraid of the consequences of standing for the truth. So, so be even more bold, all right? Take it on, go get them, God bless you. Over here, yeah, man. What's up? Hi there. Uh, I have four children, second grade through 10th grade, and I've always thought I wanted to raise my kids to be lights in a dark place in public school and wanted them to go and be able to share their faith. But my question is, at what point do I as a parent abandon ship and say, like, I can't, I can't subject my kids to that anymore. I need to pull them out. So my wife and I have five children. We've done uh, private school, private Christian school. We've done public school. We've done... A, homeschooling. We've done all of them. And each, you know, we know our children better than the teachers do. We know what each child can handle and what would be best for them. We pray fervently. We also, if, especially in the public school where my, my oldest son went, um, we examined that and participated and, and, and went and looked at what the curriculum was. And, and anytime there was a red flag, we go in and, and make it ourselves known. Uh, you don't just release them to the public school system. You're, you're, you're vigilant and, and you keep a, a track on it. But it, at, at the end of the day, you're a steward of your children's life. God entrusted you. You're not going to be able to blame the teachers. You're not going to be able to blame anybody but yourself. And you're going to have to give an accounting to the Lord. So it's it, asking for wisdom. It says in James, if any man lacks wisdom, all you need to do is ask of God. God will give freely to him who asks. He'll show you what to do with the kids that he entrusted to you. And ask him. And each one may be equipped for, but quite honestly, my kids are out of high school. It's gotten exponentially worse. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I don't, I don't envy your position, but I know God will help you through it. Yeah, I'm, I'm closer and closer to the point that there's very few circumstances where I think Christian kids should go to government school. Yeah. And I, I'm willing to be convinced, but it's only because of the risk involved that you run 
a double digit risk, 20, 30, 40% of you losing your child before they even reach adulthood. And so think of them of being light once they reach adulthood, wherever they end up, if they go to college, into the work, because then they have the majority of their life is post 18, God willing, right? And so to think that they're going to be Christian missionaries when they're 12 is a wonderfully romantic idea. It rarely ever happens. And to be perfectly honest, there's too much risk involved in the predatory environment that government schools have become. Thank you. Yeah, we've got time for about two more questions. Go ahead. Uh, Hey, uh, Charlie, I'm a big fan of your uh, ministry. God bless you for that. Um, To what you were talking to, the lady that was here earlier, I kind of like had a question and uh, roll me back to our lack of involvement uh, brought the abortion thing around and then what you said about gay marriage, our lack of, I mean, our lack of involvement in politics. And then what I'm seeing now is that they're trying to legalize pedophilia softly. So, you know, to what Jesus said, you know, the thing about tying the rope around your neck, Question. to a millstone and then throwing the seat thing. I think this is going to be the next challenge for the church. Are we going to go with what Jesus said or what do we do? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we have to be ready for what happens when they start ridiculing us. They say, well, why do you guys hate pedophiles so much? You're a hater. What are you, pedophile phobic? Just get ready. It's already here, by the way. Minor attracted person decriminalization of the pedophilia laws in California. You no longer have to mandatorily get registered in a sex offender database if you have a sex crime with a child. Uh, in five states that we know of that are Democrat-controlled states, they have all shortened prison t- mandatory prison time when it comes to pedophilia-type activity. Child sex crimes are being decriminalized. Um, for example, in the state of Virginia, I'm going to screw up some of the details, uh, but it was essentially like, hey, you have to tell a parent if a teacher is engaging in homosexual-type transgender teaching um, towards a child, and they uh, they said they said no. Uh, they they shot it down. So. Just get ready for that. They will not stop. Uh, Here's the important thing, is that not every single person who teaches queer theory is necessarily a pedophile, but every single pedophile believes in queer theory. So you can kind of square that circle. Um, And it's all part of a direct, it's a direct crusade of how far can I push the church. And now it is, now, now we're no longer kind of having to, we never were in this, this space, but it's so clear where Jesus says what happens when you go after the children. And there will be churches where they're going to bring pedophiles on stage and be like, well, you know, we, we just shouldn't, we just shouldn't be so hateful. They're born this way. They're born with loving eight-year-olds. If you can't fight on the first issue, why would you fight on the third issue? But hey, we only do the gospel around here. Thank you. I think we have time for maybe one. I'm not sure we're going to have two, so go go ahead. Um, Being that we're aware that Jesus is coming soon, um, 2 Peter 3 says he's coming, but for his mercy. I would just like to ask for all the people surrounding me, whether Christian or the body of Christ or unbeliever, how do we... How grace versus death, like you're going to die if you don't know this truth. How do we, when, are, when do we discern we're extending grace or we're allowing people to, to die without knowing the truth or 
get out of our space without sharing the truth in other words. And is that for each Christian unbeliever? Like, how do we handle that? Yeah, it's important not to put too much pressure on yourself. That's important, right? Uh, God is sovereign. God has a plan. Uh, but we also have marching orders. And so everywhere I go, I try to share the gospel. It's incorporated in everything I do. Um, I will say I think I have shared the gospel more on demonic liberal college campuses than anybody in the last decade. I will put that up against anybody. Um, from Berkeley to the halls of UT Austin. Uh, and so... You know, look, God is a plan. God is sovereign. Uh, but we also must hold account to our action. And so I'll, I'll close with this. I was very thankful for the opportunity to go on a podcast that is as demon filled as demon filled can get. It's called whatever. If you haven't watched it, you're lucky. Um, it, it is full of porn people and all sorts of awful things. And I think from my own personal understanding, I was one of the few people ever to go on that podcast and just outright share the gospel and, you know, throw the net. And now, they, they were moved by it. It was powerful. Yeah, there was a witch there. There were two people that are, you know, winning awards in the porn industry that were alongside of it. And I have no idea if I won over those, you know, eight young ladies or the millions of people online. But I went out of my way to do that because I felt a moral obligation to at least throw the net, right? I'm not a trained evangelist. It's not what I do professionally. But with the platform that the Lord has given me, I believe that I have a duty to share the gospel wherever um, I go and whatever platform he gives me. So, The Bible says that they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and the Lord added to their numbers daily. Salvation is God's deal. We just are obedient to proclaim it. So, yeah. folks, thank you so much. Our time's up. We'll Let's see you guys for tonight, too, for the Letter for American Church screening. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Email us, as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Thanks so much for listening, and God bless. For more on many of these stories and news you can trust, go to charliekirk.com.